Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you could join us. I am Terry Plucknett, your host, and with me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Todd, who is going to end up in the college football playoff? Uh, well, if Clemson loses, that would make it interesting, but it seems like it's going to be LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and probably Oklahoma. Yeah, that's prob that's the most likely scenario. I think if Utah wins they're in. And then if they lose well, it's it's Oklahoma Baylor. If if Well, yes, yes. And, if, unless if Georgia State, beats LSU. Well yeah, if Georgia wins and uh Wisconsin wins, and that makes everything difficult because everyone thinks that LSU and Ohio State are in no matter what. What so, do you think, Zach? I, I think that it's a much more compelling question is if Oregon had just held on and not allowed that stupid Arizona State quarterback to throw that fourth and 16 conversion and we had won that game, would we be in the playoff? I think the answer is yes. Yes, I think you're right. Fourth it, and 16. Come on. You can't protect on fourth and 16. Uh, did you watch well, that game, Terry? Yes disaster it's what you get when you start a quarterback from sheldon it's it's an inside (laughs) reference all you eugenians out there shout out to the 541 you can't lose the arizona state you can't lose that's true that's true you can't lose arizona state i agree however every it's like every big team every decent team from the northwest every year will lose a game in arizona that year like oregon has a tendency to do that like every time they have a shot to be something good we lost Arizona in 2014. I do well, have that was funny... at home, though, to Scooby. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a bad one. I do have a funny story from Lawrence, though, where, where we lost 61-6 to yesterday. So, like, I was going on a walk, and I tried to avoid the uh, football stadium because I thought there'd be so many people there. But then I walked by it anyway, and there was no one there. And it was, like, in the middle of the game. And it was awful. And then on TV, there were, like, five people in the stands. You should have gone. I should have gone. I bet tickets were... I bet they were paying people to actually go to the game. I bet they would have just let you in. Yeah, it's not like Baylor travels. All right. Well, uh, uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some fabulous Sierra Nevada Pale Ale left over from Thanksgiving. There you go. There you go. I had, well I had one too, one too many rum and eggnogs. I need to, uh, you know, settle myself cool. out a little bit. I I, I can imagine. That does, yeah. Todd, that does Todd, what do you got? I am drinking the San Matias Reposado Tequila, made in 1886, and it's uh, a little lighter than I would like, but it's uh it's good. You're not you're not drinking the uh, the whiskey we shared uh, a couple nights ago. No, I didn't have enough of that left for me to actually get through this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it it it, ta- it takes what at least like half a bottle to get through the podcast. Well, you know, <laughs> kind of for you it took two and a half shots and you were spinning. Oh, I was. Uh, yeah, that had, I I didn't realize how empty my stomach was until 
I got, yeah, I got through that glass, and man, that's some good stuff. Well, uh, well, for me, this podcast, I, I'm doing a repeat, but it, it's a very intentional one. Uh, we're going to be reviewing The Irishman on this podcast, and nothing was, felt more perfect to be drinking than out of Iron Horse Brewery in Ellensburg, Washington. This is their Irish Death Dark Smooth Ale. I mean, that, wow. is, that is about as, as good as you Beautiful. can get. Uh, yeah, I'm trying Irish to see here. Death. Yeah, there was a pretty good quote on here. I got to see if I can find it again. That's like a good uh, summary of uh, the Irishman, basically, in two words. Yeah, pretty much. That that's kind of what I was going with there. Is it it perfectly uh, sums it up? I can't find the cool quote. Maybe it's not I there do, anymore. I do feel like this is the not the first beer you've had with a skull on it. <laughs> Throw the bones. It's very likely. Yeah, throw the <laughs> There's a Nebraska reference for you. So we've got we've got Eugene in Nebraska and Lawrence, Kansas now now repped on our podcast. Perfect. <clears throat> well, before we get into what we're doing, um, reminder: make sure you find us on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review. Find us all over the internet on Facebook, on Twitter. AlmostSideways.com has our thousands of uh, movie ratings and much much more. Let's get into this. Let's do our movie review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And like I said, we are looking at what we um, said together was our most anticipated movie of this year. That is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Frank Sheeran. Is that right? Yeah, you said it right. Uh, under the contract, management can only fire a driver on very specific charges. So, you ever show up late? No. Do you have any moving violations? No. Do you drink on the job? No. Do you ever hit anybody? On a job? Yeah. I don't think so. All right, then. We don't have nothing to worry about. But now I'm a man. I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. How are you? Hi, nice to meet you. Who's like the army? You followed orders, you did the right thing, you got rewarded. A friend of ours is having a little trouble, friend at the top. Back then, there was nobody in this country who didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa was. You always charge a guy with a gun. With a knife, you run away. So you charge with a gun, with a knife, you run. Hiya, Frank. Would you like to be a part of history? Yes, I would. Big business and the government are working together, trying to pull us apart. Something's got to be done. What else you say? Now's not the time to not say. I'm a natural lover. We're going to war with these people. War. Things have gotten out of hand with our friends. You gotta sit down. Everybody says so. I'm not sitting down. I can't do it. It's what it is. What it is. I know things. They don't know I know. It's going to happen. Either way, he's going. You know, I don't, uh, I don't care whether you did it or not. That makes no difference to me. Yeah, I know. I'm here to defend you, right? Right. 
What do you want to know? You want to know if I did it or not? No. <laughs> We've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Uh, Scorsese, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, all back together on Netflix. Anyways, uh, let's talk about it and see uh, what this is all about, if it is really living up to the buzz that's out there. Todd, you're going to start us out. Tell us uh, what The Irishman is about and what you thought. Okay, The Irishman is the true story of Frank Sheeran, who is played by Robert De Niro, and he's a World War II veteran turned truck driver and Italian mob hitman. Uh, the story goes that he his favors and willingness to kind of do anything uh, leads him to some of the most notorious crime bosses in Philadelphia, including uh, Russell Bufalino, played by Joe Pesci, Angela Bruno, played by Harvey Keitel, and Skinny Dutilio, played by the great Bomni Cannavale. Uh, these connections uh, get him further into the business, gain respect from everyone, and make basically make it so he can't be touched. Uh, one particular favor leads him to Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino. He's the union president and the second most powerful man in the United States. Uh, things kind of get messy. The family starts fearing for their safety, and then there's a bunch of mob tropes like, uh, you know, double crosses, parallel narratives, and uh, uncomfortable lunch meetings. Uh, the, the story is told in flashbacks of uh, Sheeran illustrating his recollections in a nursing home near, sometime near the end of his life. Some of the stories are really personal, but other other ones could couldn't be more than just like speculation. But it doesn't take away from uh, the flavor of the movie and like uh, how detailed and interesting each era portrayed in the movie is. De Niro is really restrained in the movie. It's actually hard at times to remember that he's not the powerful one. Like he, he's the one that's having to do favors for the Joe Pesci character, and it's kind of uh, interesting because he's never played a character like that that I can remember. Pacino is awesome as Jimmy Hoffa. He's able to, like, really do his thing, and, like, it's his best performance in a non-TV movie since, or at least in a couple decades. It, he His character is so similar to how he played Mike Corleone in the third Godfather movie, which, I mean, the the characters are really kind of similar anyway, but that that's the, the last time I saw him play a, a part quite like this. But I, I think Joe Pesci really steals the show, but not in the same way he did in Goodfellas. He's like the the real boss. Like every time he walks into a room, you know he's the boss. So he doesn't have to d be crazy and really funny. He he just like has this aura about him that he's the one in charge. And so whenever is how he carries himself and his like heartbreaking directives is really just makes it something else. And I think it's his best performance he's ever given. Uh, the movie is vintage Scorsese, but it's also holds something different because it's not as a uh, like hyper energetic like his other mob movies like Casino and Goodfellas like a lot of the shots are just like focused on De Niro like contemplating his life and mortality which is interesting and it gives a, a different kind of feel to this kind of movie it's essentially a who's who of Scorsese's early project actors and like definitely a lot of his Boardwalk Empire actors like, and then you got the Rodrigo Prieto cinematography which is awesome and a killer soundtrack that seems like it's in every scene but it's never like overpowering the de-aging effect, I think, actually worked really well. They really looked like they did in, like, the 80s, 90s, and it was actually kind of scary at times. I actually think that's a little dangerous, though, because you can actually now just not even cast younger actors. You could just use, like, your favorite actor and just make him look younger, but that's kind of a different topic, I guess. It 
it's a it's a three and a half hour movie and it feels a little episodic it could have been a mini series i feel like but uh, I, I i but watching it all in one clip really gives it an epic scope it's like it's got like some uh, of like goodfellas and its structure it's got some godfather and it's like portrayer of the hierarchy it's got some donnie brasco and it's undertones of honor and code but it's really once upon a time in america and like its overall impact unfortunately all those are better movies but this one is uh it's hard not to still say it's a a great movie it's it's not just it's not as irreplaceable as other scorsese movies but it is really interesting and really enthralling to watch i i think i could have given it a nudge toward a top rating if i was able to see it in a theater but uh right now it's it's sitting at a three and a half stars all right all right uh yeah i i'm giving it um like a a tepid three and a half stars i'm not that thrilled that i'm giving it three and a half stars but the things that it did well are like undeniably awesome uh, like you said, De Niro gives an outstanding performance. Like you said, he, he's never done anything quite like this before, where he's the, he's the, uh, the reserved one that has to, like, do the bidding of those around him. I kept on thinking as you see many scenes of De Niro and Pesci sitting there, I'm like, this is, you know, this is Jake LaMotta and his brother from Raging Bull. You don't see this this where Pesci's telling De Niro what to do and De Niro just has to kind of be a yes man at times that that doesn't happen um Pacino is is amazing and I mean like you said it's one of his best performances best performance in a long time best time chance he's had to have a decent performance in a while uh it's just great to see Joe Pesci on screen um one of the surprises that I really liked was Ray Romano It it was really good to see him in something solid and he does a really good job um, so that's, that's, uh, some of the good, the, the best stuff of it. Um, this, in a lot of ways, this felt like, uh, Goodfellas for this time in Scorsese's life. Like, like retirement home Goodfellas is kind of what this felt like at times where it's, it's the gangster movie, but it's also feeling its mortality. I feel like this movie was made simply so that Scorsese could make the final 45 minutes to an hour where where it's just Frank Sheeran sitting back contemplating his life and and contemplating what he's done and and just being there and I mean there's this movie there's so much going on and then just stops and has this thing that Scorsese's never done before and I thought that was amazing too however the first two and a half hours to get to that there's way too much. It's way too long. I, w- I completely disagree with you. I thought the de-aging was so distracting um, because I, I could never tell exactly how... I mean, at the beginning of the movie, how old is De Niro supposed to be? Uh, is he supposed to be, like, in his 30s? I felt like he never looked any younger than 60. He looked like De Niro with Botox. That's what he looked like. And um, and even, no matter what you do... Oh well, yeah. The one, the like ten seconds you see him in war, yeah. That's that doesn't. I don't care. Um, and no matter what, he he always looked old because his stature was always of an old man. This like hunched over, like seventy year old man. It was. um, I'll say one thing. 
uh, like uh, Captain Marvel in the MCU with Samuel Jackson did the de-aging so much better because they didn't ask Sam... Well, first off, Sam Jackson is a little bit more fit, but also they didn't ask him to do too much that made him look old. Um, and De Niro, there were so many things that he did that was like, that's not how someone in his 30s or 40s would look doing that. He looks old in that moment. Uh, even though his face looks young, he looks old. And, uh, and it was just distracting. I didn't like it at all. I would have much rather seen uh, I much rather seen a younger actor or even a younger actor with like De Niro's face superimposed over it, almost like they did in Rogue One. That would have been less distracting than seeing 70-year-old De, De Niro body with 40-year-old De Niro face. I it I it threw me off so much. But um, but yeah, the the first two and a half hours, it it's too long. There's too much going on. It it's not always i mean the, at times i'm kind of like okay what's the point i, I know it's kind of building towards something but it i, I could have been better that, that's kind of what i'm at i and for as much anticipation as there was it could have been better even with the amazing performances even with the amazing ending the rest of it could have been so much better and so i'm giving it three and a half i kind of want to give it three but the things that it did well it did so well and the things that it didn't do great were mildly disappointing. So, three and a half stars, um, a timid, tepid three and a half stars for me. Zach, what are you thinking? Is that like what you say about those old movies that you, you know, you give four stars to, but because you have to? Is that the way you feel about this movie? That you're um, obligated to give it? Not necessarily. I, I, I see what you mean. Like, I've had movies like that before. It's like, okay, I didn't really enjoy that, but I have to appreciate it and give it the rating. This one, I, the, the stuff, yeah, the stuff it did well, it, did, it just did so well that it's undeniable that it's a good movie. But I, yeah, I just wish it were better. Well, that's why Scorsese went to Netflix, because he didn't want uh, people to say, you know, this has to be uh, two and a half hours long, two, two hours and three quarters, you know? He wanted to have the, the movie made that, that he wanted to make, and uh, I guess I guess this is what it is. I, I want to uh, completely, 100% agree with you, Terry, about the de-aging. Um, I, I think it's uh, unconvincing, unnecessary. I don't know why he couldn't have gone all, you know, Dustin Hoffman and Little Big Man and just cast a different actor and instead, you know, cast a younger actor and make him older. I realize that, you know, part of this, part of the uh, impetus for this movie is that Scorsese wanted to work with Robert De Niro one more time, but it just is so unconvincing and it's confusing in the story too because it's like especially at the beginning of the movie he's supposed to be like this young man but he doesn't look young so how old really is he and he's supposed to have these young kids and a young wife and it just it's really really unconvincing and i think the worst that the shame of it is i i think that that part of the movie is going to overlook the good parts i think five years from now people are going to remember this movie as the movie that scorsese tried to do with de-aging and it was sort of a failed experiment or at least that's what i fear a little bit um, I also want to talk about something else that I hated in this movie, and then and then I'll talk about the good things. Uh, another thing that I hated about this movie was the Anna Paquin character of the daughter of Frank Sheehan, and uh, I felt like this character was sort of a throwaway character. Um, it was an attempt to try to bring a s sort of more human face to the Robert De Niro character, um, and it was just unconvincing. Uh, it's un. It, I didn't. I didn't understand the, the the thrust of her character is that she's supposed to like really like Al Pacino. 
and she's supposed to really think that Jimmy Hoff is this wonderful, sweet guy, whereas everyone else in the movie, especially the the Joe Pesci character, she's kind of appalled by and she sort of hates. And I don't understand how she's able to reconcile the fact that uh, essentially Jimmy Hoffa is the one that, you know, her father's doing all these hits for. So why does she like him so much better? I don't know. I found that unconvincing. I found her character unconvincing. There's been a lot of talk about how male this movie is. and There's not a lot of good female characters in it. You know, Scorsese has had great female characters in the past, but this is not one of those movies. And I don't know. I, I just felt like there, there was maybe space for either more development or just write the character out entirely. But as it is, it's sort of... It, in between and in in that respect that that character kind of fails other than that though i i I would agree with both of you i think this is a really solid movie um it's uh i didn't find it boring necessarily i did find it meandering um but i found it pretty fascinating especially the way that the movie aligns itself with american history at times it felt more like forrest gump than it did a scorsese movie all of its kind of interactions with john f kennedy and then later richard nixon and watergate i I found that stuff really fascinating and i think jimmy hoffa one of the real undercurrents of this movie is that jimmy hoffa was this guy who was so world renowned and and recognizable and and famous and you know at the end of the movie you know there's that great scene at the end where you know no one really knows who he is anymore and you're sort of left wondering like what's the point of it all I really liked that aspect of the movie. Um, I wish the movie had stuck a little bit more to that than, than for example, the, the family scenes with, with Robert De Niro. Um, I do agree with Terry that the last 30 minutes of this movie is pretty awesome. Uh, it's something, it's, it's stuff that Scorsese has never really done before. It feels like a great sort of way for him to exit uh, the cinema, I guess. Um, it is too long. It is meandering. But, but, man, there are times in this movie that are really impactful and interesting. My favorite scene in this movie that I was just rewatching before we started recording recording was uh the scene when Joe Pesci tells Robert De Niro oh, well maybe I shouldn't spoil it but you know it's toward the end of the movie He's in the, the back of the kitchen and he tells him to make a hit on someone that you're not expecting. That's a great scene. I mean, that's like Scorsese at like, you know, just because it's so like subtle and it goes back to what Todd was saying about Pesci's performance. It's not like over the top. It's not like you need to make this hit. It's just like in a facial expression that's brilliant, you know. Um, it's just like Goodfellas, you know. You know, one, once once a guy has crossed the line, you know that the hit has to be made and it's it, it occurs mo- instantaneous, you know. And I love that. I wish there was more of that. But I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm nostalgic for Goodfellas. Uh, I give this movie a solid three stars um, because I want to rewatch it again. I didn't see it in a theater. I watched it with my father-in-law on Thanksgiving Eve, which is a terrible time to watch a Scorsese movie. Wow. But hey, you know what? There wasn't going to be any other time to watch it. So uh, yeah, I need, to, I need to watch it again. But uh, the parts that I enjoyed, I very much enjoyed. It's like a great book, right? You got to go back to it. It's like Moby Dick, you know? Maybe I'll go back to it in a few years. I think it's definitely one, yeah, that you'll get more appreciation for is uh, the more you the more you watch it the more you experience it well i gotta say like the the aging thing needed to be done though because you can't just cast a different actor because this thing spans like 60 years you can't you can't just have a a, like six different actors playing the same same the same character because that would have been really distracting you can't make it like looper where they you know, try to make some make his face look like the older version of it or something. That's just, that would be really bad. This this actually took took a chance, and I think it really worked. I think De Niro looked like he was in his late thirties, early forties for a while, and I, he definitely looked like he was in his sixties, and he definitely looked like he was in his eighties, approaching ninety. Like the, like I think it lo- I think it worked, I, except when the really young one was really bad. It looked like he looked like the dolls in Welcome to Marwin or something like that. Because <laughs> everything was like super look, yeah. glossy, but I don't know. It, but that was the only time I, I feel like it didn't necessarily 
go well, but I think the de-aging works. I, th- I think it's going to win Best Visual Effects at the Oscars. <laughs> uh, yeah, I-, I have a feeling you're right, but I don't think it should. Uh, yeah, there were like four eras in this film. There were there was the, the war era, which was like barely at all, which really looked bad. There was the early era, and then there was the era where they look like themselves now, and then when he's old at the end. And I noticed that I started liking the movie a whole lot more as soon as he looked like himself. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, well, that's because... I don't know if it's just because that's when the movie gets going or that's when the distraction is gone. I really couldn't tell. And then the other thing is the transition from him looking young to him looking like himself, it was like... It was like it was during a four-year period. During a four-year period that Jimmy Hoffa was in prison, you had De Niro go from... You know, Botox De Niro to current De Niro, and you had his daughter go from nine years old to Anna Paquin. I'm like, whoa, 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 what just happened? Yeah. And Jimmy Hoffa's been in prison for four years, and all this. It's like, wait, what? It, it was a, it was such an abrupt shift that I, I mean, you would think that he would be able to figure out a way to do that a little better. I don't. It was just, it was so distracting that I couldn't really focus on much else. I don't know. I, I, for the majority of the movie, I thought De Niro and Pacino definitely they looked exactly like they did in Heat. Like they, they did not look anything like they do now. They did not look anything like they did 20 years before that. They looked like they did in like the mid 90s, which I think is was the bulk of the movie was in that there was like a 15 year period or so that most of the movie took place in. Well, assuming that people are sane and agree with Terry and I that the de-aging looks shitty. Um, the, the, the good news is I, I feel like uh, maybe, you know, like I, w- I was re-watching The Aviator not too long ago, and I think The Aviator has pretty bad CGI. I mean, it's at a time when digital was still s- sort of nascent and Scorsese was kind of playing around with it. But fortunately for The Aviator, no one really remembers that. So maybe people, if, if the jury does come out and, you know, the verdict is that the CGI sucked, uh, maybe uh, eventually they'll look past it. But uh, I, I feel I fear that uh, they will not. So let's ask a, a slightly different question here. This is looking at potentially being one of the favorites for Best Picture. Do you guys see this winning Best Picture? No. I don't either. Uh, well, I I don't know. I I don't I don't know how anything else is going to be is going to be treated. I mean, I feel like it's got the same chances that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does. But both very nostalgic sort of movies by master directors. I feel like they're in the same situation, but are they going to go with a smaller movie, like Marriage Story or something? I don't know if I see that either. I have no idea what's going to win Best Picture. The thing that it's got going in its favor is that I still think the, the majority of the Academy is old white men. And sadly, and, uh, you know, they'll like the subject matter and they'll like that it's Scorsese and De Niro. But what what they won't like is what Terry said, the three and a half hour running time. And like when they do that, like anonymous pollster in The Hollywood Reporter in January, I'm sure that guy will be like, yeah, I got the screener for, you know, uh, the Irishman. And I watched about an hour and a half of it and it was OK, but I didn't watch it all. Well, and you've got on uh on but, line but right old now. men love long movies all the best picture winners like 30 years ago were all three hours long so i don't i think that yeah 30 years ago when was yeah. the last three hour best picture winner it was lord of the rings that shit was 15 years ago man get with the times 
Yeah, well, and and I think it's also interesting that you've got, like, there's a film critic online right now that's posting, okay, if you want to watch The Irishman as a miniseries, here's where to cut it off. Like, here's part one, here's part two, here's part three. Because I think it's definitely in kind of in this three-part thing. But, yeah, how many people are going to do that? And I think it being on Netflix allows for that to happen. I mean, this is, it's so interesting that you have a classic film by a classic director that everyone is going to see on Netflix. I mean, I watched this thing on my iPad. I mean, th- this is something that's going to be treated in a completely different way. I mean, it- it's not like this is Roma of last year, where Quaron's a master director now, but he's not Scorsese. You know, he's not the legend. It's not a De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, Scorsese movie. And how is that going to be treated that the majority of the people are going to see this on either their television or their computer. First of all, watching it on iPad is in no way better than watching it with your talkative father-in-law. Okay, so <laughs> just put that right there. But second of all, like I think everyone realizes the grave injustice of Green Book being Roma. So if The Irishman is going to be the film that, you know, is... Is, is it good enough for people to uh, accept the Academy's apology for Roma? I don't, I, don't really, I don't really see that. I see more like backlash if the Irishman were to win and people being like, so that wins, but Roma doesn't. Well, hold on. Okay, so I'm still trying to figure out what Zach's logic is here. So, okay, what, what do you... Th- okay, you said the majority of the Academy is old white men, but... So but they're going to the, think the, it's too long. I mean, they yeah, like the subject but, matter, but but, but old white them. men would vote for what they voted for a long time ago. So they would vote for the long epic movie. Not necessarily. I I think so, like because like so they voted what, what for Green Book. What was your point in saying they were old white men just because you wanted to say that? You make no sense. Well, no, it's like it's like every it feels like every year there's there's a film that gets the old white man vote like Green Book last year. I don't know if it's necessarily this film. I, I you know, 1917 still hasn't come out. They may more gravitate toward that film. You know, either way, I'm just saying like content wise, sure. But I think the three and a half hours and Netflix thing is is probably too too much to have for it to overcome. Todd, you compared it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it's it's an interesting comparison because you have. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a nostalgic movie to a specific time in Hollywood, where The Irishman is a nostalgic movie to a specific era of filmmaking. Because it's, it like we've been saying, it's, it's Scorsese going back to De Niro and Pesci and bringing in Al Pacino. Um, like, like I said, it's, it's like the retirement home version of Goodfellas. And so are they going to go back and, and look at this like they looked at Goodfellas or some of his other works back then? Or are they going to look at it as, I mean, potentially being an outdated old, I mean, it's an old director trying to get with the times. I find it really interesting that also at the same time you have Scorsese who is criticizing uh, Marvel and all this for, for making this, for, you know, throwing cinema all off and then he's trying the very... Uh, the very technology like they invented in de-aging people. Um, I, I found that really interesting that. too. Well, they, They've been doing that since uh, Benjamin Button. I mean, well, yeah, that's true. I guess Benjamin Button would have been the first time it happened, but they, they really are the ones that popularized it over the last five or six years. Anyways, I thought it was interesting. So I think it sounds like we're all saying it's a good movie. 
Um, it's not the masterpiece that some are saying it is, or that some were hoping it would be. Um, but uh, but, it, but it, it is a it solid movie that been. might get more recognition. What? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think it was impossible to live up to the expectations. Right. But it it's a fascinating movie. I want to I, I want to watch more of it I, or or watch it again because I feel like there's a lot that I missed from it. But um, I don't know. It's a movie that like I in in some ways I feel the same about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's a movie that like upon first viewing I had a certain reaction to it, but I don't know if that's ultimately going to be my long term reaction. I feel like I need to see it a few more times, and that's usually the mark of a pretty good movie. Yeah, certainly I, a good director. And and I felt this way about some of Scorsese's other movies too, of where. The first time through, it it's it's a little harder to get into, and the more I watch it, the more times I view it. Um, honestly, Goodfellas was kind of the same way, where the first time through, I was like, okay, I mean, that was that was all right, but I don't really get the hype. And then the more I've watched it, the more I've realized, okay, now I see why this is a masterpiece. And maybe The Irishman will be something similar, but right now it's just kind of a, I mean, yeah. I I can see the the great quality there, but, yeah. I think one of the problems with it is there's like nothing iconic about it yet, except for the de-aging. I mean, there's like no, no like scenes or dialogue and, you know, maybe time will tell. But like, I already feel like with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for example, there's already stuff that, you know, people are talking about that, you know, I'll, ne- I'll never forget from that movie, for better or for worse. So whereas this movie is very much falling back on the same sort of typical beats that we've seen in other Scorsese movies, maybe done to a, a better degree. Yeah. All right, Todd, you want the last word? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I kind of feel the same way as you guys. Like, I, I do feel like uh, the this first viewing is so different than you would have in any other Scorsese movie because we saw it, you know, on a small screen and not the big screen. So, I, but I do feel like I had a connection to it that I had with a lot of his other movies. I just, I just can't put it up there quite yet because I just, I, th- there were things that were underwhelming about it, but that could just be how we watched it, I guess. And and are obviously comparing it to other movies. Yeah. So we are saying it is a uh, it is a thrice approved movie. Uh, we're all giving giving it thumbs up, uh, saying go out and see it. However, uh, it might not be the masterpiece that we were all we were all hoping hoping to see out of uh, Scorsese in his in his latest endeavor. So. Uh, Let's stop talking about The Irishman and let's start talking about some of his masterpieces because next we have our Spotlight segment. Spotlight. And today for our Spotlight segment, we are looking at Scorsese and building the Mount Rushmore of Martin Scorsese. This is like an impossible task to do. I, I, this is just in thinking about this, of all the great things that he's done, trying to narrow it down to four i mean this is going to be insane but we're going to give it a try uh let's see here zach we're going to go to you first uh so the uh reminder the way we do our mount rushmore all three of us uh submit a non-negotiable to be on mount rushmore and then we discuss for what is going to be our fourth entry so zach what do you got all right well i guess i'll take the pressure off everyone and go with what i think is the most obvious one which is goodfellas I mean, Goodfellas is, you know, a, a, a top 10 movie for me all time, maybe top 15. Uh, it is the Scorsese's most quotable movie. It's his most, uh, like, energetic and entertaining movie. You can watch it as both popcorn entertainment and, like, intellectual entertainment. 
classic scene after classic scene, iconic performance after iconic performance, dialogue that is magnificent, the Copacabana scene, the, you know, you know, the funny guy scene. What, what what more do you need? There, there's it's like a flawless movie. It's it's magnificent. The scene where he, the, he's finally busted the helicopters in the sky. It's like a it, it, some people call Citizen Kane like film school in like one movie. That it's really Goodfellas is the modern day Citizen Kane. It's it's everything you've ever needed to learn about movies in one movie. You know, it's it's a good candidate that if we were ever to take a movie in outer space and show aliens, like how powerful a movie can be, Goodfellas would be a solid candidate. I like that. Yeah. And um, you mentioned the energy. I feel like the energy of Goodfellas that made it so great is one of the things that was missing from The Irishman. I agree. Although although they're very different movies. They are. The Irishman is about old old guys who are coming to the end of their prime, whereas Goodfellas is about the energy and uh, allure and sexuality of the mob. True. True. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go next. And I'm going to pick The Departed. Uh, That's going to be my entry. Um, Of all of Scorsese's movies, I think The Departed is... um, I mentioned just that that instant um, engagement and drawn in and realizing you're watching a masterpiece. Um, The Departed was, I think, possibly Scorsese's only movie that first time through I recognized that. Um, it is, it is such an engaging movie in a similar way to Goodfellas, but, um, but the twists and turns of that story and that plot line are, are just outstanding. Um, you have Leo giving one of his best performances. Matt Damon is amazing. And it's a crew that he hasn't worked with a whole, a whole lot because you got, you've got Matt Damon, you've got, uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Alec Baldwin, um, uh, Martin Sheen, you've got you've got some of these guys that he's pull, he pulled in for this one project and it turned in that one lived up to the hype and turned into the masterpiece that uh that everyone was hope always hopes for whenever a scorsese movie comes out um there was just as much hype for the departed when it came out as there was for the irishman and it did go up and win best picture and no one really argued with it because it was just that good um I think it, it's it's probably the masterpiece of you know the last twenty five years of his career, um, and it's it's awesome. So I'm going The Departed. It, it was a great film going experience too. It was. We we were we saw that together, didn't we? Yes, we did. Down down in Southeast Portland. It was also uh, a, a day that the Yankees got eliminated from the playoffs, if I remember correctly, too. It was one of the one of the great days of all time. You would remember that. I don't remember that. But of course, yeah. All right, Todd, we've got uh, we've got Goodfellas, we got The Departed. Where are you going? Well, this is hard because I, I counted and I I've had ten movies that I've given four stars to by Scorsese, which is by far the most of any director. And so you guys went with a couple classics, his uh, his crime dramas, and uh, so I can't exactly go with one of those. I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm torn between two movies that I want to choose, but I think I'm going to pick Silence because wow. that is the movie, one of those movies that I feel like is Scorsese feeling like he's making his best movie, and it is uh, like by far the best movie of that year, and I feel like that is one of the furthest distances between the best movie of the year and the second best movie of the year that in my entire lifetime. It's 
the movie with Ad, uh, Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, and Liam Neeson about two Jesuit priests who are like looking for their mentor who has committed apostasy or whatever. And it's like this really long, enthralling, beautiful, difficult, uh, challenging movie. And it's uh, totally his religious background and everything. And every, everything just comes full circle in this movie better than any of the other times he's tried to do it with Kun Dune or The Last Temptation of Christ. This is one of his absolute masterpieces, and, like, nobody really saw it, unfortunately, and it's kind of weird to put it on his Mount Rushmore, but for me, this is one of his elite movies, and I I feel like otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, a, a movie like Silence, you know when a project like that comes up, it it's the one that is so personal to him in so many ways. And, uh, yeah, it's good that that's represented on there. Yeah, I mean, we're living in this era where, you know, movies get made in, you know, a couple months and, you know, directors get fired and rehired. Scorsese was trying to make Silence for, what, like 30 years? I mean, it took him forever to get the rights to it, to get the cast for it, to get the financing for it. You know, and similarly with The Irishman, The Irishman took years to make. So, I mean, one of the coolest things about Scorsese is that, you know, there's, there's never, ever any accusations that, that he just attaches himself to a project because, you know, he wants to make a quick buck or make a quick movie or something like that. Like, and Silence is a great example of that. Like, that was just a passion project that, you know, from a book that he had read, I believe, when he was in seminary or maybe shortly after. I mean, he, he'd had that story in his, his brain for years. So uh, it's an awesome achievement. Although I got to say, Todd, that is a, a shocking pick from you i mean i would have thought you would have gone with several others but i don't know i guess that's why we have a fourth not rushmore all right so let's yeah. go there because i think this might be the the most difficult conversation we've ever had on a mount rushmore so we've gone with we've gone with goodfellas the departed in silence i don't i don't have a problem with any of those choices however we don't have a single movie on there yet pre-1990 I mean, so so do we go with? I, I think we've got to go back to his his some of his earlier work, don't we? Yeah, well, I mean, you guys said like you both said that the movie you said was his most entertaining movie, but I feel like that's The Wolf of Wall Street. But I couldn't say that because it's essentially a different re a different telling of Goodfellas in a di completely different setting. But so I wasn't gonna say yeah. that. But the other one I was going to say was Raging Bull because I do feel like that is his best movie, and that's you know a top ten movie of all time, and. I it's you know one of the landmark achievements in, in filmmaking but I that would have been the easy choice I guess yeah it has been a long time since I've seen Raging Bull and I really need to see it again I saw that um, on the big screen one time in a double feature with 42 which was odd but uh, that is an odd was, double feature it, it was an amazing experience watching that on the big screen you could tell from the opening shot that it's just it's just different it looks way different than it does on any screen that you would watch it otherwise Zach and I saw Goodfellas on the big screen. Yes, we did. With American uh, Gangster. Yeah, double double feature. And a frosty run. And a frosty run in between. Yeah, absolutely. For Zach's first frosty of his life, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> don't remember I, that. Would be I don't remember probably. that. Yeah, you had never even heard of a frosty. And we went no. and got a frosty. And then after that, like every time I saw you, hey, are we going on a frosty run anytime soon? Because... I bet I've not ha had a frosty in ten years. Yeah, there's probably a tasting that that night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All it's right. It's like the back of an LA school bus. So so yeah, I have I have no problem going with Raging Bull. I mean, but 
are, are we we should at least talk about taxi driver right i mean we spent an entire podcast deep diving it not that long ago uh, and i mean it's worth consideration right yeah 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 i mean it's i i would say it's a top five scorsese movie but i mean i feel like i could say that about any of the 10 movies i have listed in front of me yeah and then I mean, there's boardwalk the empire too which is also an amazing tv show that he was part in creating so how about like I, I know this is a little bit of a, a digression, but in honor of the Irishman, you know, like what's what's like the guilty pleasure Scorsese movie? I mean, yes, you know, Raging Bull, that's got to be there. Taxi Driver, it's got to be there. But I know that there are a couple of like guilty pleasure. I know Todd, you certainly have a couple that you couldn't really put on Mount Rushmore, but you kind of want to just because. Mine's Shutter like, Island. That's not a bad pick. Like I, I could see that. Like from a purely entertainment standpoint, like that was two and a half hours of just popcorn thrills and awesomeness. I love that movie. It's so good. Well, I don't even know if I really consider any of it necessarily guilty pleasures. I mean, I, I do like. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I like Casino a lot. I love, I love bringing out the dead. I mean, the, the, yeah. those aren't those aren't it's necessarily guilty one. pleasures. I, I don't the one I don't necessarily care for that much is the color of money, which is the only one that could maybe consider that. Yeah, maybe guilty pleasure isn't the right word, but like maybe just from a pure like cinema you know cinema watching standpoint, like I love his short film in New York Stories, Life Lessons, the one with Nick Nolte and Roseanne Arquette. Like it's only a forty minute film, but I think that is one of his best films. Uh, as I mentioned on this podcast before, I love The Aviator. I can't, I, you know, I couldn't put it in the top four, but it's like an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 we haven't even mentioned Mean Streets, which is shocking. Um, and, and After Hours and The Age of Innocence. Like, and no one puts those movies in the top echelon of Scorsese movies, but especially After Hours is like tremendously entertaining. Like, it's, it, that movie is awesome. And it's actually, I think upon rewatching, it's like gotten better. It gets better and better each time you watch it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think we have to go with Raging Bull, though, you know, even though it's a movie that it's not it's not even in my like top 50, it might not even be in my top 100, because I think it's such a it's like a painful experience for me to watch that movie. I, I find De Niro's character to be so morally appalling and repugnant that I have a very hard time relating to him in any kind of meaningful way. But I can understand from like sort of an objective standpoint, like it's a beautifully made film that is uh, like, you know, out, outstanding, magnificent cinema. And yeah, it's definitely you know much better than ordinary people so it's a so it's a four star out of respect terry movie kind of thing (laughs) i i guess so (laughs) yeah if you want to call it that well and i I think if you want to see the the many sides of robert de niro i mean you watch raging bull and then you watch the irishman i mean can you get two characters more polar opposite than uh than jake labon jake lamada and frank sheeran and dirty grandpa well, of course there is that. Well, and then and then you take Goodfellas too, and he shows a completely different side there also. That's not quite. That's somewhere in between the two. So yeah. All right, Raging Bull. Yeah, yeah, we have to. It's not fair, but we have to. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Mount Rushmore of Martin Scorsese. We I think it's because Todd with... pulled out Silence there out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you. I thought for I sure he was going to say Raging Bull. I did I was, not see that coming. I was going to say Raging Bull, but I mean, we weren't going to talk about silence otherwise. And I feel like if you ask Scorsese, he probably would say that was his one of his two or three best movies. I would. I, I don't know if he'd say it's 
best. I think you would say important. Like that that is that is one of the two or three most important movies to him. I think he'd say that. Well, he always says, you know, Raging Bull was Bob's movie, and you know, Taxi Driver that was Paul Schrader's movie, and and the Irishman was definitely Bob's movie too. So he, I feel like he has his movies where they were his movies, and that was the one that I feel like is the best of those ones. Yeah, we didn't mention any of his documentaries, like My Voyage to Italy or The Last, the Last Waltz, Waltz is amazing. A, yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said at the at the top, we we gave ourselves an impossible task of trying to come up with narrow down this amazing career to four projects is impossible. But we did oh, it quickly. What's his worst film? Just real fast, speed round. Worst film. Color money. I haven't seen a lot of his movies, um, especially uh, a lot of the stuff in the eighties. But from what I've seen, I'm going to say Gangs of New York. It's a good pick. I would go with New York, New York. But Gangs of New York might be the second worst. Yeah, that's, that's down there too. Boxcar Bertha is weird. It's like his version of Bonnie and Clyde, but it's not, still, yeah, it's not, it's not great. I've never seen it. It's worth watching. That's a solid three-star movie, but it's, it's, it's weird. Definitely not normal Scorsese. Yeah, I, I have a lot of holes in, in, uh, in my... Uh... Scorsese watching, uh, so, anyways. But, but even none of those three movies are that bad. No. And all of them are better than anything the Russo brothers ever made. <laughs> uh, now, saying, saying Gangs of New York, I could see, I mean, The Irishman could be remembered anywhere from being, like, the next Goodfellas to being Gangs of New York. I feel like it's his. It's his, it's the Aviator. It's not going to yeah. win Best Picture. It was really mm-hmm. ambitious. It, I mean, it was a true story. Uh, all the all these things. I I feel like it's going to be the Aviator for him. It's not going to win him any Oscars, but it's going to be nominated for a whole lot. And he has these projects where he does this technical stuff. It's just this one feels different because it's De Niro and Pacino and Pesci and a well, there game was hype around drama. it that's the problem there was hype around the technical achievement like there wasn't there wasn't any nobody was talking about the hype around Hugo when it came out but like yeah. it, that one mm-hmm. technical awards all over the place yeah so true everyone was focused on that they didn't just watch the movie they were watching like oh does De Niro look exactly the way he should 20 years earlier 30 years earlier all right, we got to stop going back and talking Irishman. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's my fault on that one. All right, so we've got our Mount Rushmore. Uh, so we've got um, we've got The Departed, we've got Goodfellas, we've got Silence, and we've got Raging Bull. Uh, tell us on on um, on Facebook, on Twitter, where we went wrong because definitely it does not feel right, but it's what we have to go with. We had to pick four. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah. All right. Moving on. It's time for power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And, uh, power rankings this time is a little different. Uh, Todd won our game last time. And, and got the point. And we're going to do things a little different, Todd. We're going to go over our point totals before we uh, we start our game this time. 
But Todd won our game, which usually would mean that he gets to pick the topic. However, uh, on our last podcast, so our uh, our game is trying to guess Adam Daly's list. And on Adam's list the last time, he just completely owned us and had the best answer of all time. And so we gave him the honor of picking the list for uh, for this uh this power ranking. So Todd, since you won, I'm at least going to let you tell everyone what Adam picked for us. Adam chose the best restaurants in movies and TV. So that, that it makes it kind of broad. Like I, I was trying not to ask too many questions, but I, I was thinking like, you know, restaurants, cafes, coffee houses, bars. I feel like they're all sort of in play. And I feel like he didn't say no, so I feel like the, this makes it a really interesting category that is going to feel a lot like our fictional musicians uh, list, I feel like. <laughs> That's a great call. That's a great call. We could go all over the place on this one, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, okay, let's see here. Todd, I'm going to let you go first, too. Okay, for my number five, I went with uh, Freddy's Barbecue Joint in House of Cards. And, no, this is the barbecue joint that Frank Underwood went to every morning on his way to the White House. Uh, Freddie's played by Reggie Cathy, uh, R.I.P. He, uh, he would open his place early every morning so that Frank could go in and have a rack of ribs uh, for breakfast. And at first I thought that was kind of like far-fetched and hard to fathom, but like more, watching more and more of these scenes, it actually made me crave ribs when I wake up in the morning, which is impressive in itself. And uh, th- these scenes were so awesome that they eventually put Freddy on his White House staff, which is cool. But it just basically shut down the restaurant. But it, it, the, it was always a great. There were always great scenes. It's like this little hole in the wall uh, barbecue joint, and it was uh, th- that was always one of the highlights of the show. I still have never seen any House of Cards. That's on the list. There's so many great TV shows out there that I haven't touched yet. That, that... was the first streaming show. It was. It was. I think and I was Fincher. a little late. I was a Fincher little late to. Uh, I was a little late yep. to Netflix. I think that's what that's what did it for me. Yep. All right, that's a good one. That's a good one. That is not on my list. I'm gonna go next. Uh, number five on my list is uh, is one from from a favorite of mine. Uh, I'm going with uh, the Suds Bucket from A League of Their Own. Nice. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, the, this is this is a a, a bar and this uh, little. Uh, kind of nightclub type area that the girls sneak off to after uh after poisoning their um or slipping some poison into their uh chaperone's dinner uh, i've never seen a woman throw up so much um and uh and they go out and they have a night on the town of dancing and having fun and drinking beer and smoking this is where marla meets nelson the love of her life as she sings sings karaoke to her it had to be you or sings karaoke to him and uh and uh they they, all they did was give her a dress and a lot of liquor and uh and that's what happened so uh anyways it's such a great spot it's such a great scene um in such a great movie so i had to put it on the list so number nine or number number five suds bucket a league of their own (laughs) absolutely a terry pick it is totally a terry pick (laughs) Thank you. All right. Zach, number five. 
All right, num- number five for me uh, is, uh, well, the, first of all, I didn't do TV on this list. I never do TV on Power Rankings. Screw TV. I wanted to choose restaurants that had some kind of meaningful place in the story, not just some kind of random, you know, sporadic restaurant. That So my number five is like the heart of this movie, and that is the coffee shop in Heat, already alluded to on this podcast, interestingly enough. And uh, it is a... It's only one scene in the movie, and we don't even know what the name of the restaurant of, of the coffee shop is. It looks like a restaurant, though. Like I was kind of on the fence because they they drink coffee there. They say, "Do you want to get a cup of coffee?" Al Pacino says, "Do you want to get a cup of coffee?" But it looks like people are eating, and it's at night, and it looks like it's kind of bustling. So I'm gonna call it a restaurant. This occurs like midway through the movie when you know Al Pacino, as this detective, has been you know searching, uh, you know, trying to find out who this Robert De Niro character is, this criminal who kind of pops out of nowhere. And, you know, he's got him kind of, he's on the highway and he's got the helicopter and, and then he just pulls him over and says, want to get a cup of coffee? And, he's, and De Niro's like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, giving that great De Niro expression. And then they have like an epic 10 minute conversation about, you know, like leading a life of crime versus leading a life as a cop. And then they both say that, you know, it, despite all their inconveniences, they would still never do anything else. And they talk about women and they talk about, uh, you know, it, 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 for a while, it was the one scene that featured uh, 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 De Niro and Pacino. Um, and it's just a great moment in the movie. It's Heat's actually a pretty good movie otherwise. It's, I think it's Michael Mann's best movie. But uh, that 10 minutes is uh, amazing cinema. And uh, the coffee looks pretty good, I gotta say. I guess we'll never really know, but, you know. Because it's not really about the coffee in that scene, but it does look good. It was it, a, an all-time scene. It, it, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Todd, number four. Uh, my number four, I went with the El Jefe Cubanos uh, food truck in Chef. Uh, I was a bigger fan of that movie than basically anybody else, I feel like. But, uh, I, I mean, I love food trucks, but having, like, a Cuban food truck run by just, like, this infamous recently fired chef was a really cool idea. And the food looks awesome, especially when the his kid decides he's going to convince his dad to put these like really expensive slabs of pork shoulder on sliders which doesn't really go with the cuban thing at all but uh, it looked really good and um it's i I feel like it's just a delightful movie and uh it looked like amazing authentic cuban food other than those sliders which actually looked even better i've never seen that movie i thought that movie sucked you would like it though, Terry. I would. Yeah, okay. that, that would be a Terry, a Terry top movie. ten of that year movie for sure. Yep. <laughs> but I, I feel like I liked it more than anybody I ever talked to about it. Apparently, I didn't talk to Terry. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, number four on my list is the Bone Shack from Planet Terror. Uh, th- this is a this is a barbecue joint yes. uh, run by JT uh, Best in Texas Secret Family Recipe. Um, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary, the night of the attack. Um, and even to his grave, he's not revealing his secret to cooking the best ribs in Texas. And I want to know what they are. I don't know what those secrets are. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's such a great scene in the middle of a completely bonkers movie that somehow in the middle of the zombie apocalypse, I was craving ribs. So kind of similar to Todd's pick from House of Cards. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's one of the it's one of the great you know mo- moments of levity in a movie that has many of them. But it stood out to me, and I had to put it on the list. So number four is the Bone Shack, Planet Terror. 
That was not one I was expecting to hear. <laughs> yeah, I don't even I don't even really remember that restaurant. I best, want to re, I want to rewatch it now. Best in Texas. <laughs> he's like watching everything happen and he's taking a bite of a piece of ribs. Oh, that's damn good ribs. <laughs> All right. Zach number 4. Okay, number four for me is uh, a restaurant that I, I admired so much in this movie that I actually visited it, and that is Donut Time from Sean Baker's Tangerine from a few years ago. And uh, if you haven't seen Tangerine, it's a great movie. Uh, not as good as The Florida Project, but still a really good movie about uh, transgender prostitutes. And uh, Donut Time plays a really pivotal role in the movie because it's where a lot of the scenes take place, especially like the opening scene when Cindy and Alexandra uh, reveal, it's revealed that Alexandra's boyfriend, uh, Chester, is cheating on her. And then so they, that's where the opening scene happens. They storm out of Donut Time to confront the girl who is sleeping with Chester. And they have this very like Jerry Springer all out fight with a lot of hair pulling. And then the movie goes back to Donut Time on several different uh, scenes. Uh, later, there's like a taxi driver that becomes a central character in the story. And apparently, it's it's a pretty popular place for transgender prostitutes, like in real life, is what Sean Baker was saying in the commentary for that movie. Um, so uh, I had to visit it. It, 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 was, it was a pretty cool experience in the middle of, of Hollywood and Los Angeles, although a few blocks south of like the, you know, the Hollywood, uh, you know, walkway and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, I don't know if it's a restaurant per se, but, you know, donuts are awesome. And uh, I love Tangerine. So it's a it's a great movie and, you know, great, great choice, I think. Obviously, you chose it. Uh, well, obviously. I've always wanted to do that, visit more places for movies like that. That, Yeah, that's always fun. Todd, number three. Okay, so this list, I feel like there were like a few that were pretty obvious, and so this is where I put the obvious one. I put with Jack Rabbit Slims from Pulp Fiction. This is now the sixth time I've mentioned Pulp Fiction in our power <laughs> rankings, which is by far the most. Uh, he tracks I, this stuff, guys. He, he, he keeps a spreadsheet. I... I know. I love that you can order it by "Burn to a Crisp" or "Bloody as Hell" or Martin and Lewis or Amos and Andy. Uh, this the scene that takes place there is just so classic. The five dollar shake actually kind of seems cheap now. I, I I don't think you could get a five dollar <laughs> shake at a restaurant like that for you know. Uh, the Buddy Holly might might not be much of a waiter, but you know we probably should have sat over by Mamie Van Doren or whatever. But the food was there when she got back from the bathroom, so I don't know why he, they actually commented how bad he was a waiter. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 the dance scene from that is obviously iconic, and that was one of my best MTV uh, movie award wins that we did on this <laughs> podcast. I want a restaurant like this in the Pacific Northwest. Like, someone's got to actually recreate this and put it in Seattle. That'd be pretty cool. What was, what was the over-under on Todd bringing up lines from that scene, reciting lines from that scene in that little synopsis? Like, three and a half lines? Uh, oh. I, I, I would have taken the over, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Probably. I, I was surprised when you mentioned Mamie Van Doren. You didn't start going. Oh, no, that's actually Jamie Mansfield. I think. I think Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe's off tonight. But no, yeah, he said she said Marilyn Monroe, and he said oh. Mamie Van Doren, and he's like, and that's Jamie. You know, Jamie Mansfield is off tonight, or something. It was it's like a museum uh, with a yeah, pulse, something like that. That is, he's like, that is Mamie Van Doren, <laughs> which I'm still not even sure who that is. <laughs> well there you go you need to just find a find out who that is and yeah do some research todd all right number three on my list now this is a total 
Terry pick, and you guys are going to say that, yeah, I know you're just going to say it, so I'm going to say it for you. Uh, number three on my list is uh, Mrs. Lovett's Pie Shop from Sweeney Todd. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, I mean, it's just kind of awesome that what they end up doing. I mean, meat's expensive, and so they find an easy way to get it And uh, with the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And uh, it, it has some pretty memorable songs surrounding, uh, surrounding the pie shop and uh, how she... Her pies are horrible, but they end up turn out pretty good as soon as she uh finds her new source of meat and uh i would say also that it's probably tim burton's best movie since like the batman edward scissorhands beetlejuice era so for that for that alone it's it's worth mentioning but yeah i i love that movie and and that whole thing is so absurd that it's it's hilarious and it's great and i had to mention it so mrs lovett's pie shop Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, number three. So you're saying Sweeney Todd is better than Frank and Weenie and uh, Ed Wood? Uh, haven't seen Frank and Weenie. Uh, Ed Wood, Ed Wood's all right. Ed Wood is like the least Tim Burton, Tim Burton movie though. Okay. But and that that's yeah. just like that's like the end of that era too. I mean, you had. Because it was it was like Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood, and then after that, this is like the best of what's come since. Like the only one I would even consider putting in in competition with it is like Big Fish. Mm. So it's curious about Terry's list is like now I'm over three on remembering any of those restaurants, but what's <laughs> curious what's curious is I've seen all three of those movies. <laughs> See, and these are things that, as I was going through, I was looking through lists of movies, I'm like, what stands out? What is, what, when I think about it, I'm like, ooh, that has a really interesting scene in a restaurant, and so I'm going with that. So now we have a pie shop, a food truck, like a, a coffee shop. Donut, donut shop. A donut shop. A couple barbecue <laughs> joints. And Suds Bucket. <laughs> a nightclub in the middle of the Midwest somewhere. Yeah, Probably exactly. Probably somewhere in Racine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So somewhere like that. Uh, I don't know. Jimmy was driving the bus at that point. Okay. <laughs> Zach, number three. All right. More I on that next week. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of went along with what Todd said for his number three pick uh, as going with someplace that was classic and iconic, and you know I, I kind of had to mention it, and that is Rick's Cafe American from Casablanca. Um, although I guess, yes. again, it's kind of a, a loose definition of a restaurant. We don't really see a lot of food necessarily being eaten there, but because the whole, basically the whole movie takes place there and it does have a very iconic staff like Sasha and, uh, the, the, uh, the, the fat guy and, uh, all those, you know, people the, the singer, you know, and they all sing, uh, you know, the, the La Marseillaise and, uh, you know, it's, it's a classic, uh, joint and the guy from the Ferrari really wants to buy it. You can tell. Um, or no, is his name Mr. Ferrari, and he owns the Blue Parrot. I'm sorry, I'm getting my lines confused a little bit. But uh, yes, Rick's Cafe American uh, is is a classic uh, movie restaurant. I, maybe the most iconic movie restaurant of all time. More yeah, than Jackrabbit Slims. Well, the, the, those are maybe one and two. But definitely, yeah. I would say a larger percentage of Casablanca takes place at Rick's Cafe than exactly. Pulp Fiction exactly. I mean, Jackrabbit Slims. 
the original title for Casablanca was Everybody Comes to Rick's. I mean, it even has the name of the restaurant in the title. So. That would have been a terrible title. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say something about The Irishman. The better title for The Irishman would, uh, would have been uh, The Guy Who Paints Houses or whatever they had at the beginning. That's much better I than I hear you paint houses. I, yeah, I hear you paint houses. Which is the yeah, name of the book. It's actually blood being splattered on the wall, which is awesome. I never had thought about it like that. <laughs> uh, all right. Todd, number two. Okay, my number two comes with one of uh, from one of my uh, favorite series, uh, movie series, and that is Pizza Planet from Toy Story. Ah, it is the wonderful. staple of all Pixar movies, and the pizza is so popular. Even though the delivery truck drivers are so incompetent, like that they they can't do anything necessarily. Uh, the, the restaurant actually just looks like a giant like arcade pizza place superstore kind of thing i'm not even sure i ever actually saw pizza in the actual restaurant but um they do do double prizes you have been chosen i don't know it's just so ingrained in my head i feel like it's actually a real place if it isn't it really damn should be pizza planet is my number two there's got to be some like a pizza planet in like disneyland or something right there would have to be you would think (laughs) oh Man, I, I didn't even think of some of the obvious ones like you guys are mentioning. But, uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, number two on my list is uh, is from Pulp Fiction, but it's not Jackrabbit Slims. Um, oh. It is oh. Big Kahuna Burger. Mm, I, nice. We never even see it, but... That Hawaiian it's... burger joint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> that, that is one tasty burger. May I wash it down with some of your cold beverage? Uh, any nutritious breakfast yes exactly now we never see big kahuna burger but it plays like just as pivotal pivotal of a role it feels like as jackrabbit slims and so one of the things with this there is a burger joint in seaside oregon called big kahuna burger and like their catchphrase on the side of the building is that's one tasty burger and i've always wanted to go there and so have a big kahuna burger it's never worked out i'm always there with at the wrong time with the wrong people and when they're not open and because it's you know it's a people. beach town who yeah are these people, people you're with wait yeah you need to <laughs> like figure out who these people are that yeah, you're, yeah. That you're talking Todd, about next time you visit we're going to seaside and we're going to the big kahuna burger okay but right, uh but yeah yep exactly but yeah big ah. kahuna burger number two on my list that's a great it has choice. to be. It has to be. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a stupid list. <sighs> See, this is Thanks, exactly Adam. what happened when we did the fictional musicians. Like, I, I said Zach Mooneyham, and this is when Zach said, this is such a stupid list. <laughs> Zach Mooneyham, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> but that's kind of how I felt last time with the, uh, with the, the spinoffs, too. Yeah. Anyways. It, 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 it spiraled out of control in the same way. All right, Zach, mm-hmm. number two. Number two, I'm stealing Todd's number one. I'm sorry, Todd. Uh, I'm going to go with the Windmill Inn from Sideways uh, because we all know it's a, the, the greatest restaurant on Todd's list, I'm sure. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, the Windmill but, uh, Inn is not a restaurant. It's a hotel. What are you, uh, they, are you got, talk- they got a bar. Oh, they have a bar. What are, you, are you talking about the, the hitching post? <laughs> 
The, the hitching post. I'm sorry. That what the hell, Zach? Gun. This is really bad. You that should was choose a, a different one. You should edit this out. <laughs> you, you, should be dr- you should be drinking Merlot. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad that is. I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot, Terry. Donnie, you're out of okay. your element. The hitching post. Sorry, the hitching post. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty big party foul. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They make their own wine here. It's just outstanding. Yeah, and they have the ostrich. It's locally locally braised, um, locally braised. Excuse me, braised. Um, yeah, this is just a cluster. Oh, Jesus, that's she all is I got. Jamming. Sans rock. I'll let Todd talk. About, I'll defer to Todd with his number one pick when he picks the hitching post. How about that? I'm done. Peace out. So, so, Todd, what's your number one? Well, my number one would have been that, but originally I actually had thought about this list as fictional restaurants, so I didn't, actually, I didn't actually choose the Hitching Post. Don't at times real. <laughs> so I went with uh, the one that I thought of immediately when I heard the list, and that is Chubby's from Boy Meets World. Of course, oh, you're welcome, oh, Adam. Of course. I do not have a statue oh. in cheese or anything, but... <laughs> Some of the key moments in the best, ch- my favorite childhood show take place at Chubby's Famous Burgers. Uh, it's a weird place. It kind of looks like an underground, like, burger, uh, or, it, I mean, it is an underground burger joint, but it looks like some sort of, like, uh, speakeasy tavern or something like that, but it's, like, a place where, like, junior high and high school kids hang out, but it's also a place where people have their, like, wedding anniversaries and stuff, so I'm not really sure exactly what it is. But there so many important conversations take place between Corey and Sean, Corey and Topanga, Sean and Angela, Eric and, like, whoever. I, like, there was, like, Eric and uh, Frankie Stacchino had their, like, epic, like, day-long pool match where, like, the ball exploded at one point or something. And, like, there, there was the time when Lauren came to Philly and, like, broke up Corey and Topanga. I'm actually on Team Lauren. I don't know if that exists, but that is uh, what I am. Uh, and, and, like, Corey was also at his most sly when he has a, his, like, one date where he, like, explains how to actually order from Chubby. But it's not really chicken, so it doesn't really matter. I don't know. I mean, I could have chosen, like, the Central Perk from Friends or the Max from Saved by the Bell. But, like, Chubby's holds a special place in my heart. I feel like I grew up going to that place, too. And that was the only thing that I thought could be number one in this list when I when I first heard it. I love how much... You love that show. <laughs> yeah. Well, it even turned into, like, Peg synopsis. Lake Pete's. There was, like, a flash-forward thing where it, like, changed, and they were all upset because it turned into, like, some pirate, like, burger joint or something. They were all I upset. I remember no, that. I was really upset, too. <laughs> Boy Meets World is the greatest show ever. I feel like we need to have a trivia round for Todd on Boy Meets World. That would be entertaining. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I Didn't agree. you write? You wrote a, a trivia. What was that? What website was that? Fun trivia. Funtrivia.com. You wrote a... Oh, it was, it was just about the Halloween episode, and then there was Sean. Yeah, and then there was Sean. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that was when I was, like, 16. I probably could write a lot better trivia question or trivia questions from that episode now, but, you know. Yeah. It is what it is. Sporkle would be the way to go now. True, true. All right, number one on my list. Uh, it's going in a similar direction as Todd. Um... This very easily could have just been like the top five restaurants or, or you know, hangout spots in sitcoms. 
is like Todd said, you've got Boy Meets World, you got Central Perk from Friends, you've got the Diner from Seinfeld, you got the Max from Saved by the Bell, but I went with the original and the best, where everybody knows your name. That's right, number one is Cheers. Uh, nothing is better than walking into Cheers and hearing them shout out Norm with Sam and Carla and Norm and and Coach and Woody and Diane and Rebecca. It is it is still one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, it it's it makes me laugh whenever I watch it. It's so good. Um, and the like the entire show, like ninety percent of the show, takes place in the bar. And and that's it, it's one of the best shows ever. And you have all, all over the country, you still have Cheers themed bars that have come up. That I've even seen some that have like a mannequin Norman Cliff sitting at the end of the bar, just so it feels like Cheers. Um, it, it's the best. It's the best. That's all I can I say. I actually went to one about a year ago. Uh, right now, like. Uh... I went to one when I was watching the state championship football games, and I went there and watched Northwestern and Ohio State play. There was a cheers within walking distance because I needed a drink. Nice. Nice. And they don't serve alcohol at high school games, unfortunately. Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, when I was thinking about this, cheers, it had to be number one. So that's, that's where I went. All right. Zach, what do you got for number one? It's not TV, apparently. Uh, it actually is TV. I decided. I'm going to make my number one Los Poyos Hermanos because I can't mm. believe it was on no one's list. It wasn't originally going to be my number one. Like I said, I wasn't going to, but I think it's appalling and insulting that in Los Poyos Hermanos is not represented. So. I understand that reference. Yeah, no, not completely. <laughs> not completely. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've gotten far enough to see that it exists. Good for you, Terry. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's the Chicken Brothers. It has a, an amazing uh, TV commercial. Um, it's operated by Gus Gustavo Fring, um, and uh, it uh, not only serves great chicken, but it also is a outfit for uh, importing uh, crystal meth, and uh, it's uh, a pretty awesome place. Um, especially how uh, you know, like Gus is like right in the middle of. Los Poyos Hermanos, you would never guess that he's this magnet. He's, like, right in the open like that. And, uh, but I also, I think one thing that, that really makes makes it really good is that the, the food, ostensibly, is really good, too. I mean, it, it, it must be, right? And it's the most, like, iconic element from, from that show. And, um, yeah, I can't believe it was on neither of your lists. Well, I guess, Terry, I can imagine it wasn't, I, I could see it not being on your list. But I would, I would take Los Poyos Hermanos over, what was it, Chubby's? No, you wouldn't, because you don't know Boy yeah. Meets World. But you don't yeah, even know, you... man. I guess I, I don't would, even I know, know how many. I didn't even know the restaurant. How many phones were snapped in half and put in trash cans outside of Los Pueblos Hermanos? That's what I want to know. <laughs> that is a great question. I would say the over-under is at least, you know, 25 over the course of, you know, a few years. <laughs> Maybe, just the one in Albuquerque, though. And according to El Camino, um, the uh, Los Pueblos Hermanos has become Twisters. Yeah. Which is disturbing. Very disturbing. <laughs> I agree. I, I will agree with you about one thing. I am shocked it wasn't on originally on either of your lists to begin with either. So, 
All right. Yeah. Well, like I said, that there were like there were like three or four that I thought would be on everybody's list if they were if they were being honest, and you know, we were all we all just went a little obscure except for a couple. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, Todd, give me some honorable mentions. Okay, my honorable mentions. Uh, I have a few. One of them was, of course, Los Boys Hermanos. They uh, also have Berlots, which is the uh, bar that or bar restaurant that uh, Anna Paquin's character Suki Stackhouse plays or uh, works at in True Blood. I have the Choky Chicken from uh, Rockwell's Modern Life because it's so <laughs> di- just disturbing that they were able to call it that. Uh, I have AJ Spurs from uh, Sideways. Oh, you know, just right call. right past the Buffalo. Uh, the lobby bar, right, you know, right in the lobby in uh, Dumb and Dumber. Uh, the Bridges <laughs> Restaurant in uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, help is on the way, dear! You know, like that, you know, that, that whole scene is just amazing. I've seen that scene way too many times. And I also have the Blue Oyster Bar from Police Academy. Because yes! I'm not. I'm not even really sure why. Because I mean, apparently they thought it was like a like a like a seafood salad place or something at one point, you know. And uh, they just it, it's just like a recurring gag in that uh, in that movie. And I, I I don't know why I keep mentioning that movie. It's never actually been in my top five, but it, uh, here it is again. <laughs> I had that. I had them in my honorable mentions last time. You 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 had it on your list, didn't you? Wasn't Zed on your list? No, it was that was another honorable mention. Oh, it was honorable mention. Police Academy okay. two. All right. Well, I've got I've got just a couple places uh, for my honorable mentions. I've got uh, Mr. Smiley's from American Beauty. Good one. Um, nice. I've got uh, the bar, the basement bar in Inglorious Bastards, um, where they, they play one. their game and they, they have the shootout. And uh, and the last one is uh, Brunch Village from Portlandia. Uh, they do a whole episode about how brunch is big in Portland, and they wait in line for hours and hours for brunch. And one of the things I love about that is I know exactly where that restaurant is, or at least where they shot it, and I've been to the place, like, next door to it. Like, before they, like, I watched it, I'm like, ooh, ooh, I know exactly where that is. It's like, it's only, like, a mile from where I went to school, so. You yeah. really love brunch, don't you? I remember that was, like, the one episode of How I Met Your Mother you showed me. It was about brunch. <laughs> brunch does Oh, yeah, the, the brunch episode. The brunch episode is awesome in How I Met I mean, Your Mother. That's the one episode you showed me. I, I maybe brunch is where, the scariest thing. Where, uh, where Marshall and uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Joe Manganiello, his character. They they go to yeah they go to brunch together. Did, yeah, just they, like they, dudes uh, going to brunch. Yeah, yeah, like a like it's a super you know, not gay thing to do or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's it a great episode. <laughs> All right, Zach, honorable mention. Well, my original number one was the restaurant in my dinner with Andre, but that's sort of a boring pick. But what is a whole, call that to, is a total Zach pick and a total boring yeah, pick. Do I know, know, so I'm glad. Do we know what it's called? No, it doesn't have a name. But Are you sure? You know, all, are you sure? Or are you just going to call it, you know, the Windmill Inn? It could be called the Windmill Inn. I, I don't know. It's We're never told. Oh, man, I'm not going to live that one down. I just feel, never. I just feel dirty. I just feel dirty right now. <laughs> Um, I was also on, on my honorable mentions. I also had Bridges Restaurant for Mrs. Doubtfire because I think it's impressive that they just yes. let some some like old lady walk into the uh, the kitchen and pour a bunch of pepper on Pierce Brosnan's uh, jambalaya plate <laughs> and without saying anything. Like you know, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, 
I was going to say the diner in Moonlight, uh, the restaurant that Jack Nicholson takes Shirley MacLaine to in terms of endearment. Ah, uh, well uh, done. Uh, Mildred's in Mildred Pierce, Sal's P- Pizzeria, uh, Nouveau Vesuvio from The Sopranos. You could also go with Satrials from The Sopranos as well. Yeah. Denny's in, in the Santa Claus and p- because they're out of everything when Tim Allen takes his kid there on Christmas Eve. We're out. We're out. I just remember that waitress saying everything. I thought that was funny. Um, the Andes Mountains in Alive. Uh, McDonald's in the 2019 Clemson football White House visit. And Catherine Scorsese's <laughs> kitchen in Italian American and to a lesser extent Goodfellas. I was going to say McDonald's in, ba- in, uh, in Big Daddy. Yeah. Will someone get the kid a Happy Meal? Yeah. <laughs> the Clemson White House is that that is amazing. That that's that's some next level stuff right there. <clears throat> All right. So it's time for our game. Uh, again, this is us picking Adam Daly's list. He he picked this list for us, so now we're gonna see how well we can figure out what's on his list. Todd, tell us what our score is right now. Uh, currently we have Todd at 15, Zach at 10, and Terry at 11. We'll see how, we'll see how this one goes. All right. Todd, you're first. All right. Number five, I have Rick's Cafe from Casablanca. Number four, I have the Cafe 80s from Back to the Future Part 2. Number three, I have Cat's Delicatessen from When uh, Harry Met Sally. Number two, Jack Rabbit Slims from Pulp Fiction, and number one, the Mos Eisley's Cantina from Star Wars. God damn it! <laughs> I think that's a pretty obvious one to have have on there. Uh, all right, so I have um, first. I say on his honorable mention will be the Hitching Post. I, I, I have that on there too. Um, but here's my but, here's. Th- but if he has the windmill <clears throat> in, then Zach wins automatically. I agree. Yes. If he has the windmill <laughs> in mentioned. Instead of the hitching post, Zach wins. Okay, uh, number five uh, is uh, is the shawarma place in the Avengers. Uh, number four, Jackrabbit Slim's Pulp Fiction. Number three, McLaren's and How I Met Your Mother. Uh, number two, the Three Broomsticks in Harry Potter. And number one, the Star Wars Cantina. <laughs> the Mos Eisley's Cantina. Well, Mos Mos Eisley's Cantina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five, I have Good Burger. Number four, yes. I have <laughs> Nice. Hotori the movie Hansen's... or the TV show? <laughs> Does it matter? All that. Uh, okay. Number four is Hatori Hanzo's Sushi Bar. Number three is Monk's Restaurant from Seinfeld. Number two is Jack Rabbit Slim's. And number one is the Star Wars Cantina. Okay, so here we go. He's got a long honorable mentions. He said he had a list of like 40 places and it was hard to narrow it down. Uh, just like the best movie bands, there are so many good ones. <laughs> He mentioned that without us even saying anything. Is that is that is that a tiebreaker right there? <laughs> I think it might be. Um, okay, so we honorable mentions. He's got the Gold Room in The Shining, the Max in Saved by the Bell, uh, the Death Star Canteen in Eddie Izzard's Stand Up. Um, nice. Uh, that went blue, over our heads. Yeah, Blutes Banana Stand in Arrested Development. Oh, yeah, the Frozen Banana Stand. That that is a great choice. I. <laughs> <laughs> Should have come up with that. Uh, the Soup Nazis restaurant in Seinfeld. Uh, Chubby's from Boy Meets World. McLaren's wow. Pub from How I Met Your Mother. Uh, uh, Bowling Chop Suey Palace from A Christmas Story. Uh, Teddy Twister from From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> nice. Um, 
The Raven from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Chez Quiz from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The Copacabana from Goodfellas. Omeletteville from SNL. Bring it on down to Omeletteville. Um, Los Pollos Hermanos, Breaking Bad. Dorcia from American Psycho. Josie's Bar from Daredevil and the Daredevil Netflix show. And Stan Makita's Donuts from Wayne's World. So none of us have gotten one on his honorable mentions. That might be a first. Because I feel like we always get at least one of those who we're just like, ah. Oh, I had one. I had McLaren's. What, the How I Met Your Mother thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. So maybe not. So, so I've, I've gotten, gotten I've gotten one. Okay. So number five, the El Jefe food truck from Chef. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I thought that was the only one that came up with that shit. <laughs> uh, number four, the Winchester from Shaun of the Dead. That's oh, a, nice. That's a good one. Is. It's a bar. It, yeah, it's where, like, the entire movie takes place. Uh, number three is Mr. Smiley's from American Beauty. Uh, number two is the Ink and Paint Club from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Wow. Nice. And <laughs> number one... Number one is Jackrabbit Slim's Pulp Fiction. No mention of the cantina. So I had Jackrabbit Slim's number two. So did I, I. had it. I had it number four, but I had one of mine on his honorable mentions. And Mr. Smiley's was on my honorable mention. Just saying. I thought for sure he always mentions when Harry met Sally. That really upsets me. Well, How did he not have the cantina? Oh, and he also says at the end, his po- his uh, little note at the end is, uh, Terry, hopefully you mentioned Jane's Bakery from It's Complicated, since it's your four-star <laughs> classic. Yes. Thanks, oh, Adam. once again, by Adam. <laughs> <laughs> He's really got her number think, these last few times. I think Todd wins. What? Todd had Jack Rabbit Slims, and he had I Chubby's. I had yeah, it on Chubby's my list. was on I, his I list, though. I didn't predict it, though. But he, me- but he mentioned it. Yeah, but I had I had Jackrabbit Slims and I had McLaren's in his honorable mention. Yeah, but I had Jackrabbit Slims number two. You didn't have it that high, so you were automatically eliminated between me and Zach. And he kind of called you out on it's complicated. And he yeah, did. and and I did say it was just like our fictional musicians list. Yeah, <laughs> you you did. But we said that was going to be the tiebreaker too. Yes, but the problem is now I feel like I don't get to pick the next category. <laughs> but 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 see, at, at least he didn't mention the windmill in. So, true. That's true, but I'm not saying I deserve to win. I, I think I think because he didn't like Zach loses a point. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Are we gonna give this to Ben? <laughs> Our next category goes. To I ben. don't know. I th- I think I, I think, think Adam I should legit... lose a point for not saying Star Wars Cantina. What what the hell was that, Terry? We've I'm the, nev- I know, Terry. We've never done it where uh, you have one in, like that. That you have one in the honorable mentions means more than you have one that's the closest to what. Like it's always in the top five. Yeah, you're automatically eliminated because we both had number two and he was his number one. Fine, I guess you win. I had Mr. Smiley's written down too. I was gonna go with that, but then I flipped it out for Good Burger. Not that that's worth anything. But... Good Burger. Good Burger pretty, was a good answer. That was a good. Good he pick. should. I bet Adam. When you listen to this, you know that you should have gone with Good Burger. Kel loves orange soda. Is it true? I do. I do. I do. Ooh. There we go. Yeah, he had a good list. He better. He's the one that came up with the idea. So, 
All right, so Todd gets a point. I will right. reluctantly concede and let him grow his lead. <sighs> and pick the category? <laughs> and you get to pick the stinking category. Fine. All right. Well, I guess that means we move on into trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And as always, to start our trivia section, we are going to talk about our uh, movies we were forced to watch uh, from our last trivia game. <clears throat> I'm going to go first uh, because I, when Todd mentioned that I hadn't seen this movie before, I think Zach's head exploded. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I watched, uh, the 1994 documentary Hoop Dreams, uh, made by Steve James. Yeah, I really don't know how I'd never watched this movie before. Um, it is kind of a consensus, like, greatest documentary of all time. Um, and, uh, it was really cool. I got, I got this from the library, and it was the, the, uh, criterion that they had. And on there, they have a compilation of every time Siskel and Ebert talked about Hoop Dreams. And, like, they talked about it as a, hey, everyone, uh, pay attention to this one movie that's coming out at Sundance next week to, uh, it should be nominated for Best Picture to how the hell wasn't this nominated for Best Documentary to uh, the, they just changed the rules because of Hoop Dreams and uh, then they talked about how it was one of their top movies of the decade. Um, anyway, so Hoop Dreams, uh, it's a documentary telling the story of William Gates and Arthur Agee, uh, two inner-city Chicago kids that idolize Isaiah Thomas, who was an inner-city Chicago kid who ended up making it big uh, in the NBA, and they both end up at the same prep school that Isaiah Thomas was at, and you really just follow their high school basketball careers. Um, and it's amazing. It really is. It, um... As I was watching it, I felt like it was kind of this like microcosm into into a like what almost three hour movie version of what the Up series has done, of just following these these characters, these people, and they really are great characters to follow through how they change and how how life kind of gives them different twists and turns. It's completely unpredictable because it's real. And uh, and you get these these boys that um, that have these great hoop dreams at the start of, we're going to follow Isaiah Thomas, we're going to go to this school, we're going to win state championships, we're going to go to a big college and end up as NBA stars. And uh, you kind of see how that goes and, and how you know the different twists and turns of life kind of give them all sorts of different obstacles to overcome. Um, it is it is great as a basketball fan to watch. It is great as a, just a human interest story. It is great as this picture of what it's like to be to live in the inner city. Um, there, there's. I mean, it was made in the early '90s, but I don't really think it feels that outdated outside of like the clothes and the music. It's still a great story. Um, that's worth uh, checking out. I'm given. I gave it four stars. Uh, if you've never seen Hoop Dreams before, uh, check it out. It's definitely worth a watch, um, and uh, and yeah, just fascinating to see what what goes on with these two. 
Yeah, that like uh, I don't know how Steve James does it. Like he, he'll come up with an idea and then he will follow it, and for some reason it always turns into something way bigger than what he was actually going for. Like the same thing was with uh, when he did his documentary Stevie. Like the Hoop Dreams is just is I mean it's something else. Every I love I love it so much. It's a top twenty five movie, and I I feel like if you've seen it, it's it's you're kind of lying if it's not. It it is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a top twenty five, top thirty movie for me too all time. Uh, everyone complains about three hour movies, and like that movie is so engrossing that you literally do like that in Schindler's List. I feel like are three hour movies that you really forget about time passing. Like you're just so involved and engrossed in the movie. I mean, originally it was supposed to be a thirty minute documentary made for PBS, but he just kept on coming back year after year. Um, Side note, anecdote, my mom lived a block from the prep school that uh, they went to, St. James, so I actually walked by that school a lot. Um, kind of interesting. I don't know. But, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's just a, it's an amazing story. I, I love the Criterion Collection version of it, too, because they have a lot of cool extras, especially about William and Arthur, like, ten years later when they return to, returning to Hoop Dreams is pretty interesting to watch as well. And, um, yeah, Steve James has made a lot of great movies since then, Stevie and Life Itself and The Interrupters, but uh, he'll never, uh, you know, this is his, his, the greatest achievement of his lifetime and maybe the greatest documentary ever made. Yeah, I remember I wrote a I wrote an article that was a top ten movie TV shows that uh, deserve a sequel, and I remember I wrote I had Hoop Dreams on there like number two, and I but our our friend Josh Allen actually said like oh you know they did do something about it blah blah blah, and I was like yeah but I mean <laughs> we didn't get it done by Steve James kind of thing you know. Yeah, and it's like, it's the documentary for people who are skeptical about documentaries. Like, you, you tell people it's a three-hour documentary, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know about that. But, like, this is the documentary, this is the documentary for people who have never seen a documentary or are skeptical about documentaries because no one could watch this movie and not be powerfully impacted by it. Yeah, I watched this movie only a few days after I watched Ford v. Ferrari. And Ford v. Ferrari was a long two and a half hours, and this was a very, very short three hours um so yeah that it, it felt like it it flew by um well i'm glad so, you agree terry <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of hard not to agree about this one um so another one that steve james did he also did one of the 30 for 30 documentaries he did one on uh, alan iverson oh yeah. that was really interesting that was, yeah that was one of the best ones too i, I agree that was one of the best ones for yeah. sure all right well zach what did you have to watch Okay, well, Todd assigned me Big Fan uh, from uh, 20, 2009, and um, this this feels so much like a film that, like, us three would have seen at, like, Cinema 21 in Portland. I don't know why. Maybe it came out too late, but um, I'd never seen it before. It stars Patton Oswalt as a overweight uh, kind of loser guy who works at a parking garage, and uh, his passion in life is the New York Giants. He calls into the local radio show, which is very, very closely modeled off of Ma uh, Mike and Mad Dog, which is pretty hilarious, especially with Mike <laughs> Francesa in the new uh, Safdie Brothers movie coming up. Um, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Um, 
And so uh, he uh, one day uh, stumbles across one of these star players for the New York Giants, uh, played by an actor named Jonathan Hamm, but not John Hamm. And uh, he uh, stalks him, and they get in sort of into an altercation, and so he's beaten up. And the rest of the movie is kind of about if he, uh, how how he deals with that, because the player is suspended. His brother wants to file suit against the the, the football player. Really, that the plot's more of an excuse to just kind of show the the manic and obsessive behavior of this fan, who will literally go to the hospital for three days and wake up from basically a coma. And the first thing he'll wonder is if the Giants won that day, or that you know that the Sunday that he was uh, in a coma during. Um, this is a pretty funny movie. Uh, Patton Oswalt's really good in it. Uh, Michael Rappaport plays a, 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 a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles who's always insulting the Giants, and that's Philadelphia I think, inspired. Philadelphia Phil! In, it's inspired casting in spite of the fact that he has like a really major New York accent in the movie. I did wish that the scenes with him, though, he was talking about the biggest stickmen on the on the Eagles, on the 2008 Eagles. Because, you know, you got like Brian Westbrook, L.J. Smith, Don McNabb. You got some solid, solid stickmen contenders on that team. Um, I liked it. I, I, the movie kind of went and so, so it, it seemed like it was going in kind of like a Joker slash King of Comedy direction toward the end of it. And then it was kind of like, oh, gotcha, just kind of kidding. And I wish it hadn't done that. I wish it, it had been a little bit more serious. But, uh, you know, that's not the movie it is. And it's hard to imagine Patton Oswalt really like that. But um, I thought it was going there. If it had gone there, I would have given it three and a half stars. As it is, it's just an enjoyable 85 minute movie that's a solid three stars. And I could not for the life of me figure out what season it was with the Giants. I think it was 2006, because at the end when they show the, season, the schedule for the next season, they talk about how New England is in the last game and they're, gonna, they're probably going to lose the Patriots. And, of course, they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl the next year. So that, that, that's the ultimate redemption arc for that character, I guess. Todd, I like how you knew who you were playing to and gave him an 85-minute movie. I mean, yeah. you were guaranteeing a positive review there. Well, I was guaranteeing he was actually going to watch it, uh, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I love that movie. I watch it before every football season, and uh, I named one of my fantasy football teams for like three years, Quantrill Bishop, because you know, I mean, just it, I, I don't Is know. Is Quantrill Bishop some... a quarterback or a cornerback? I could never figure that out, or a linebacker, because it's like. The movie is it, there's it doesn't explain. I always figured he was like a, a running back, but I don't know. No, that's the one position he isn't because it says he's a quarterback and then it says he's a linebacker and then it says he's a cornerback. These people don't know their football, I guess. <laughs> I guess. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like that, that movie is so uh, true to life and uh, the, the only reason I originally saw it was because it was written and directed by the writer of The Wrestler. So that, that was what originally drew me to it and that was the first time I'd, I think I'd ever known who Patton Oswalt was. And I... I Everything about that movie, I, I've just always, I've just always been drawn to it. It's it's so different, and yeah, it's obviously a Todd movie for sure. But uh, I'm glad you at least gave it three stars. I was fear. Oh yeah, you it, was, it was like it was it was a star because it was very you know, enjoyable you, you to don't watch. watch football anymore. <laughs> no, I don't watch football anymore. But I, I'll also say that I loved that his best friend in the movie was played by Leonardo DiCaprio's cousin Sean from The Departed. Like that guy's <laughs> awesome. That guy's and in a lot of random that, shit. I know, he's great. Stop doing drug deals with your idiot cousin, as Jack Nicholson tells him. <laughs> um, and then uh, I love also that the head detective in, in this uh, movie is also the head detective on The Sopranos, who's going to try to bust up Tony Soprano. And this was like after The Sopranos, so this guy was totally being typecast, but you know, that's the only role he could play as a detective. Or someone in the FBI. 
And Terry hasn't seen this movie, unfortunately. Nope. <laughs> oh, wow. Terry should should watch it. If this is to- to- don't you think this is totally a movie that you would have, like, driven down to Portland, we all would have seen it, tw- Cinema 21? Like, this is such a, like... An in We would have seen it. Yeah, like an in type movie that we all would have gone to see. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I would like well, to think been. that's true. <laughs> all right. Well, there are our trivia reviews, and now, Todd, you are leading trivia, so tell us what we're doing. All right, well, I have a few different categories. They're all sort of random, I guess, but they all are based around character or actors that are in The Irishman. So, (sighs) the first one we are going to do is uh, one of um, mine and Zach's favorite actors is Jesse Plemons. We are going to go his top ten movies by IMDb score, other than The Irishman, because that would obviously be number one. Okay. And we're going to go back and forth. Uh, I guess since Terry feels like he was jipped out of uh, Power Rankings, he'll go first. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, we're going to go with Vice. Vice is number three. That is a good call. Uh, the Master. The Master is number four. The Post. The Post is number six. Um, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. That's number two. I did include it, even though it's not a theatrical release, but yeah. I can't even think of anything else that he's in. You've seen at least a couple of these. Like Mike. Like Mike was one of his lowest rated movies. That is not I figured. That was the only one I could think of. Although, the one movie I still see him, every time I see him, I think of Like Mike. I do too. I do too. I first first go, wait, is that Matt Damon? And I say, no, that's the kid from Like Mike. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Zach, do you have any more? Honestly, I I can't. I'm blanking on other movies he was in. Was he in Inherent Vice? No, he was not in Inherent Vice. The other movies on the list, number one was Bridge of Spies, which I cannot tell you who he was in that movie, but he was in it, apparently. Uh, Number five was Hostels. Number seven, American Maid. Number eight, Paul. Number nine, maybe his best performance, Game Night. And number ten, also a great performance by him, Black Mass. Okay. Yeah, wasn't going to give any of those. Two to two. Except, what, have you not seen Game Night? I haven't seen Game Night yet. That was a great movie. I've, I've really wanted to. Zach, it's a ter- you, I, it? I didn't like it, but Terry would like it. Were you going to say it was a terrible movie or it's a Terry movie? Yeah, no, well, both. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, oh, that, that's upsetting. Okay, so we are now going to the top ten Joe Pesci box office movies. Yes, this is a total Todd trivia thing. I wish that you would do more like this when I was actually a competitor, but okay. <laughs> so, uh, Zach gets a start on this one. Home Alone. Home Alone is number one. Home Alone 2, Lost in New oh, York. Home Alone 2 is number two. Goodfellas. Goodfellas is number eight. Casino. Casino is number nine. My Cousin Vinny. That is number seven. The Good Shepherd. 
That is not on the list. Ah. Uh, Zach, can you come up with any more? Raging Bull? Raging Bull is not on the list either. Is Gone Fishing on the list? Gone Fishing is not on the list either. How about Uh, With Honors? No. Okay, number three, four, and five, Lethal Weapon 2, 3, and 4. Oh. Uh, Wow. Number six is JFK. And number 10 is Easy Money, uh, starring Rodney Dangerfield. You're telling me Easy Money made more money than Raging Bull? Yes. And Gone Fishing? And Gone Fishing? Yeah, with Danny Glover, yes. (laughs) With Danny Glover? I'm I'm telling you that. (laughs) That's hard to believe. But okay. Well, you know, it's Joe Pesci. Who knows? Okay. Uh... So now, our last category, we are currently at Zach 5, Terry 4. This is going to be a little bit uh, weird, so we are going with the uh, the competitors that Robert De Niro went up against in his Oscar nominations. <laughs> so we are going to go through the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 categories that De Niro has been nominated in, and you're going to give me the other people nominated in those categories. Oh, this sounds fun. This is a... This is a great category, Todd. You're welcome. Wow. I, yeah, I, wish I, I wish I was part of this. <laughs> but instead, I'm keeping score. <laughs> My uh, word. Okay. We um, are going to start with... Uh, I guess we'll start... Should, okay. Should we start with the most recent or the most uh, furthest away? Oh, it's not just going to be open? Uh, I guess I can just go random. No, okay. no, no, no. We will start no, with no, no, 1978 no. Best Actor. Uh, De Niro was nominated for Best Actor for the greatest movie ever made, The the Deer Hunter. <laughs> and Terry, who was someone else that was nominated for 1978 Best Actor? Um, I'm going to go with John Voight. John Voight was the winner for Coming Home. You are correct. Do we have to say the name of the movie, too? I guess you can just say the actor. I mean, if that makes it easier for Terry. That's actually then what I, I was we, thinking of, but yeah, we should say okay. then we should say the movie title. Uh, okay. well, you could just say the actor. I mean, you could you could get a random stab at that point, I guess. Okay, uh, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty Heaven was nominated for Kevin Can Wait. Yes. Um, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna say Peter O'Toole was nominated. Peter O'Toole was not nominated in 1978. <laughs> Zach, do you have any more? Oh, man. Uh, I, I want to say the other two are fairly obscure. Was one of them um, Richard Farnsworth? No. The other two were okay. actually very, very famous uh, oh, nominees. You got mind. Gary Busey for the Buddy Holly story and uh, Lawrence Olivier uh, for The Boys from Brazil, which isn't a famous movie, but a famous actor, obviously. Oh, The Boys. I wanted to see that one, actually. I've never even heard of it, so that's impressive. It's it's about um, like them hunting for Hitler in Brazil. Oh. Okay, we will now jump to 1990 Best Actor, where De Niro was nominated for Awakenings, and Zach. What else? Who else was nominated that year? Well, the winner was Jeremy Irons for Reversal of Fortune. That is correct. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner was nominated for Dance with Wolves. Uh, Robin Williams for Awakenings? 
That is not correct. He was nominated for the Golden Globe, but not the Oscar. It's a shame. Terry? Mm. Um, I'm not going to come up with anything. I can say Dustin Hoffman. That is not <laughs> Just correct. Just throw it out there. Yeah. <laughs> was, was Warren Beatty one of the other ones? No, Warren Beatty is not one. We have oh. Gerard Depardieu for Cyrano de Bergerac and Richard Harris for The Field. The font, The Field. Those are pretty obscure. Yeah. I've seen one of them. Okay. Uh, the next, if we skip one, the next we are going to is 2012 Supporting Actor, where Robert De Niro was nominated for Silver Lanny's Playbook. But, Terry, who else was nominated? Uh, 2012 Supporting Actor. So, let's see here. I will say Alan Arkin. That is one. Gestapo Tactics. For Argo. For Argo. Oh, yeah, wrong movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah. the windmill in. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to go for the winner that year who was Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained. That is correct. Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master. That is correct, with the right movie, even. Hey, I, I, I know this one fairly well. <sighs> we have the one last... more. And he, it was an Oscar winner. Uh, and Obviously. I'm blanking. Oh, man. I'm going to really be upset when Terry gets this, and I don't. Uh, I can't remember. I give up. Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln. Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln is correct. Nice. Good call, Terry. And Terry takes a lead 9-8. to eight. And the next category we will be going through is the 1976 Best Actor category, where Robin or Robert De Niro was nominated for Taxi Driver. And Zach, who else is nominated? Uh, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone is correct. Uh, Peter Finch. Peter Finch was the winner for Network. William Holden. William Holden was also nominated for Network. So that means we've got four of the five, right? That is correct. Uh, and who was this fifth one? Well, the chances that Terry gets this, I would say, are about plus 950. And that's only if he really has studied this year. Mm. The, the Zach getting it, probably about plus 350. I'm not really sure. But I think he's mentioned this movie on the podcast before. It's He's not definitely, gonna, it's definitely not mentioned this me. on the podcast before. Okay, um, Terry did not get it. Yeah. Zach, what is the other nominee? No, it's from Bound for Glory, right? And it, it, was it Keith Carradine? No, that was not the oh. actor in Bound for Glory. That was David Carradine, I... and that, that was not the movie. It was Seven Beauties. It was uh, Giancarlo oh. Giannini. Which I feel oh, like yeah. you've mentioned like five times on this podcast. Oh, the, I actually other, know who that is. The best, uh, the best director nominee, the first female best director nominee. Giancarlo Giannini. He was in. Uh, he's been in a couple of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Okay. So currently we are tied at ten apiece. Shockingly. 
Now we are heading to 1980 Best Actor, where uh, De Niro won for Raging Bull, one of our Mount Rushmore of, of uh, Martin Scorsese movies. And who else is on the list? I forget who starts first. I think it's me, unfortunately. Um, 1980. Um, I don't think I have anything. Timothy Hutton was a supporting actor nominee. Um, uh, I'm gonna go Peter O'Toole. <laughs> Peter O'Toole was nominated for the yes! stuntman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that, I guess that's why I left that door open for Terry. <laughs> Now he has a lead, and now Zach has to come up with one to tie it up. John Hurt? John Hurt was nominated for The Elephant Man. Gosh, I don't know. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, again, not nominated. <laughs> Zach, any others? Uh, Paul Newman? Paul Newman was not nominated in 1980. Uh, the others were Robert Duvall for The Great Santini... Uh, Jack Lemon for tribute, and yeah, and that was it actually. Those two. So now we are moving to uh, 1991 Best Actor, where like the the Ford v Ferrari of trivia it never ends. <laughs> There's only two more categories, uh, <laughs> or two more. Yeah. Uh, so 1991, uh, De Niro was nominated for Cape Fear, and Zach, who else is nominated? For best actor. For best actor in 1991. Uh, Anthony Hopkins was, was the winner that year. Yes, he was for Sounds of the Lambs. Uh, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty was nominated for Bugsy. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner was not nominated for JFK. Terry, Sh- can travesty. you t- can you take a can you take a lead here? Nick Nolte for Prince of Tides. Nick Nolte Nicely was nominated. Done. Um, and there's one more, right? There is one more. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm going to say Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman was not nominated in 1981. It was uh, Robin Williams for The Fisher King. Oh, Fisher oh, King. Oh, gosh. I should have known that. So now Terry has a one-point lead somehow going into the final category and that is 1974 Best Supporting Actor, where De Niro won Best Supporting Actor for The Godfather Part Two. Who else was nominated? Um, oh, um, is it, what's his name? What's his name? Is it, um, uh, Paul Schofield, Godfather Part Two. Is that the name I'm going for? That is not. No, that's not who name. I wanted. Dang it. And not Michael Schofield either. No, I know who I'm. Uh, Zach, can you get two to win trivia? Well, I can get one. Lee Strasberg. That's Lee the Strasberg. name I was trying to think of. Gosh, dang it. Yeah, they only mention it on Inside the Actor Studio all the time. I know. Yeah. I know. It's... Um, and my guess is Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges was nominated for Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, directed by Michael Cimino. 
the great Michael Cimino. We'll only listen to Clint Eastwood. Zach wins fourteen to thirteen. The other nominees from behind. Mike that was the like Gazzo my, for the my, Godfather Part Two. My hats off to Terry. That was an awesome, awesome performance, Terry. That was like that <laughs> I was, was like, surprised it was that close after a couple of those. And Fred Astaire for the, the Nick Tower Nolte. Inferno. Nick, where did you get Nick Nolte from, man? From that was my, awesome. Uh, from my DVD shelf behind and me. Peter it was for best picture. It was nominated. For Peter best O'Toole picture. was awesome as well. Nicely done. <laughs> this stunt man, overrated movie, by the way. So who are the other ones you said? Uh, Michael V. Gazzo for The Godfather Part Two, who was like the one guy in the, I don't know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the yeah. court scenes. Yep. And uh, Fred Astaire for The Towering Inferno. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, That's I was trying to remember Lee Strasberg, but I had the wrong name in my head and it wasn't leaving. Yeah, Paul yeah. Schofield from the, the most Terry movie Terry hasn't seen, which is A Man for All Seasons. So he wasn't nominated in '95 for Casino. Paul Schofield? No, De Niro. No. Okay. The, the only nomination the movie had was Sharon Stone. Okay. All right. So 14 to 13, Zach gets to choose some movies for Gosh, us to watch. Dang it! I came so flipping close. That was. It was I haven't won trivia in forever. <laughs> That's why well, I didn't mind we cheating are doing a little bit. A league of their own next, so I feel like Terry, you have a pretty damn good chance of winning trivia. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right, all right. Well, let's move on. Finish this up with quote of the day: Strawberries, not the cheese. Womack, with a little sex in it. Quote of the day: Zach, you won. You get a start. All right, well, uh, my quote comes from Al Pacino in uh, The Irishman. Al Pacino did have some really good moments in The Irishman. We didn't really talk about that too much, but he was a pretty colorful character. I don't know if his supporting actor nominations in his future, but, but, but he was pretty good in it. And uh, I love the line that, that he says. Uh, I, I love his, uh, his hatred of that one uh, rival character, uh, Tony Pro. And uh, he says, I went to school for five f***ing years. I didn't name one f***ing name. I did the right thing. I sat there every day with that whining sucker from New Jersey talking to me about his woes, his problems. And all I wanted to do was finish my ice cream in peace. That and that's how I feel about this, this podcast sometimes. Well done. Well done. Todd, what do you got? Uh, so I went with a, a quote from Sideways, but not from uh, the Windmill Inn or from the Hitching Post. It was from EJ Spurs. Damn it. <laughs> and uh, that is, Miles, you understand wine and literature and movies, but you don't understand my plight. Don't understand my plight. With that head shake as well. Yeah, you had to have that there. Yeah, but they don't have a, uh, a thing on the nose. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, my uh, my quote for you is from my number one uh, movie TV restaurant, and that's Cheers. Uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the many Norm-isms, uh, especially as he walks in the door. So every time Norm walks in the door, everyone shouts Norm. And so they go, Norm! And then Woody says, pour you a beer, Mr. Peterson? And Norm says, all right, but stop me at one. Ah, make that 130. <laughs> nice. <laughs> It's one of many. He's got some great ones. If you've never seen Cheers, it's on Netflix. Like, binge watch Cheers. It's worth it. 
Anyways, uh, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, find us uh, almostsideways.com uh, if you uh, if you can. Please, please subscribe, rate, review on iTunes so we get heard by more people. Uh, we will catch you soon with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.